with Lloyd DeYoung. Tonight's episode is continuing on Sharia law, subjugated under Islam, dhimmis, and jizya under Sharia. And uh, Lloyd has been going through doing some more research on another publication he located called the Hidayah Commentary on the Islamic Laws. We'll be sourcing from volume two tonight. Uh, thanks to uh, those of you who supported the show during the week and sent your donations, etc., to myself and hopefully to Lloyd as well. Uh, please continue to support the show. Send your super chats. You can also donate through uh, PayPal, etc., which the uh, donation links are in the show notes. Lloyd, welcome back to the show. Hey there. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Good to have you. And uh, well. Where are we gonna? Where are we going to begin tonight? Um, so what I want to do is talk about. We spoke at length about jihad. We spoke at length about what the Sharia does, the kind of punishments the Sharia introduces for things like um, insulting Islam, insulting Muhammad, etc. But let's look at some of the consequences of what happens when you have been subjugated under Islam and Sharia is finally imposed, because ultimately. In Islam, Sharia across the entire world will be compulsory. We don't really have a country that operates completely under the Sharia. Even Saudi Arabia doesn't implement it fully. And they fully realize if that if they did, this would be an international incident. It would cause a political incident of massive proportions. So they've stepped away from that for the time being. The only place that did implement Sharia fully is what we call ISIS. That was 100% orthodox authentic islam and they applied the sharia completely all so right the brutality of islam was sharia and no other what's do you know what nation in, uh, implements it to the to the furthest extent probably saudi arabia iran places like that um you know, those are places, um, you look also now you've got Aceh in Indonesia, I think it is, that is implementing things like they, they're caning women to death, even on stage for things like holding hands with a man. Um, it's, you know, so they're implementing what they can. And there are certain elements of it that will, as we read through, you'll see they cannot implement it now because that would literally lead to an incident with um, an international political incident. And there, there would be consequences for them doing that. To foreigners in their lands and so on. You know, so today we will talk about the what it means to be a dhimmi under Islam, which is effectively a semi-slave, like a third-class citizen, which is standard in Islam, which is required in Islam, and also paying the jizya. Now it's commonly called a tax, it's not a tax. It's commonly called a poll tax as well, or a capitation tax. Uh, if you don't pay it, it then becomes a decapitation tax. But the correct translation of jizya in Islam is retribution. And it is paid because you do not, it is retribution because you are not supporting the Muslims in their aim, which is the conquest of the world and to place the world under Islam. And therefore you must pay this money in lieu of fighting to establish Islam and to allow them to go and do this task. I'm just looking at the comments here. 
No, nothing going on at the moment. Yeah, so, um, but any, any comments or questions for you before we begin? You've seen the notes that I've sent and so on. Uh, yeah, I've got them up in front of me, so we can... Yeah, uh, you would need to, so if you've got the Reliance of the Traveler, should I actually share my screen? I'm sure, yeah, you can share. Okay, so let me share my second monitor. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to use a handful of books. I'm just going to make one quote out of a book called The Origins of the Islamic State. Um, but mainly, as you see on the screen, I will be utilizing... Um, let's move this so I can see this. I'll be utilizing the Reliance of the Traveler. And if you are, you go to page 524 in the bar, but it will be section. So we'll do a brief look at section 0914. Let me read this. When an adult male is taken captive, we did this last week as well. The Caliph considers the interests of, the, of Islam and the Muslims and decides between the prisoner's death slavery, release without paying anything, or ransoming, him, or ransoming him. If the prisoner becomes a Muslim, the caliph can choose any of the four alternatives, then he may not be killed. And one of the other three alternatives is chosen. And it is permissible to cut down him as trees. So let's step forward, because that is referred to again in this section. So if you go to chapter 011.0, that is the Book of Justice, chapter 11, section 0, in the Reliance of the Traveler, let's have a quick look in this guide, which is now the Reliance of the Traveler is a summary. It's a single volume document, which is why it became so popular. It's a single volume summary of the Sharia. It's a compilation of all of the very best Sharia manuals. Uh, what I'm going to utilize for the bulk of this is I'm gonna go through a much, much larger Sharia manual called the Hedayah. And this one has at least four volumes because I've got four volumes and that runs two to 3,000 pages. This volume, this manual runs to, I think, without all the additional stuff that the, that the translator put in, comes to about 700 to 800 pages. As it is, it runs to about 1,200, but that's with additional things that was, was added by the translator. One thing we have to note and be careful of is that the translators aren't always entirely faithful. They will leave out entire sections, entire paragraphs, they will mistranslate things and it seems to be deliberate. And we'll compare some of the things this says with a different Sharia manual, which has been, to my knowledge, translated fairly faithfully. So let's have a look. Um, we're gonna have a look at chapter 011, as I said, the non-Muslim subjects of the Islamic state, the people of the Dimma, the Al-Akhdimma. And it says here that a formal agreement of protection is made with citizens who are Jews, Christians, Zoroastrians, and others. Now, Muslims in the comments, you'll always see in defense of, no, we provide protection. Um, yeah, well, the mafia also provides protection as long as you pay them. And, um, you know, we, we protect the Christians. Well, yeah, they, they will as long as you pay them. And if you don't pay them, um, yeah, there will be punishment. So I want to make a note, though, that, so let me read this. So, they're allowed to make a contract of protection. This, this agreement of protection is actually a contract. You sign it. It's called the Dimma contract, sometimes called the Pact of Umar or Pact of Omar. And if you are a people that have had a book, if their religions do not respectively contradict the fundamental basis of Judaism and Christianity. Samar well, that's Sumerians and Sabians. You don't get those groups anymore. And the Zoroastrians, the only 400,000 left now, and that's mainly in Iran. 
So they've been, they've been almost wiped out. And any of those who adhere to the religion of Abraham or one of the other prophets, right? Now, such an agreement may not be effective with those who are idol worshippers. Now, the short version of this agreement is that if you want to remain in your ancestral religion, you will sign the Dhamma contract and you will pay them annually a certain amount of money. You will give them a certain tribute. And that money is used to enrich the Muslims and also to conduct its jihad against the rest of the world. Now, I want to note, this is what the author, the, sorry, the, this little bit here is what the translator has put in. Now, the typical choice is you submit to Islam and you become a Muslim, or you become a Demi, or you are killed. Those are the three typical choices that you were given. If you're an atheist or someone that doesn't come from a tradition that related to Judaism or Christianity, you don't have the option of being a Dimma. You are generally allowed to either become a Muslim or you are killed. Now, something that could have been a book refers to those like Zoroastrian who have remnants resembling the ancient book. As for the pseudo-scriptures of cults that have appeared since Islam, such as the Sikhs, the Baha'is, the Mormons, the Qadianis, etc., they neither are nor could be a book since the Quran is the final revelation. And we discussed that previously in our first episode, that's in W4. So if you go to W4.0 in the second edition of the Reliance of the Traveler, you'll see that in Appendix W. So now a Dhamma agreement is only valid when the subjects, and they speak of subject peoples, and they, they don't mean the queen's subjects, they mean the people who are under subjection, under subjugation. They must follow the rules of Islam those mentioned below, O11.5, and also those involving public behavior and dress. There are some certain strict rules that you're not allowed to dress better than the Muslims, and there are certain things you may not do. You have to know you're in subjection, and you have to abide by their laws, or there will be punishment. So let's have a look. They must pay the non-Muslim poll tax, the jizya. And this one, this particular Shuri Manor, while it's pretty good, it does, as I say, neaten things up a little bit so that it doesn't, it tries to take off some of this thing. Now, notice he says here, the jizya is collected with leniency and politeness. If you read through any, any other Sharia manual, you won't find this. This is a fiction placed here by the translator. It is not collected with leniency and politeness. The person that it's being collected from has to be treated and such that he feels humiliated. He has to feel humiliated. That is part of the rule. And um, yeah, so, so this one actually goes here to try to make this nice. And it's actually not the case. Also, they mentioned that um, there's a minimum of a certain amount of gold per annum, but the maximum is whatever both sides agree upon. Well, you may not have a lot of option in terms of agreeing, right? So non-Muslim subjects are obliged to comply with Islamic rules that pertain to the safety and indemnity, okay? They are distinguished from Muslims in dress wearing a wide cloth or belt, right, called the Zunnah. Now, as we know, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was a good friend of, pardon me, of Hitler's. He went and joined the Nazis, pardon me, voluntarily went to Hitler, joined the Nazis, was made a general, formed the largest Nazi SS division, which was the Islamic division, the Hanjar, and went and enthusiastically slaughtered Jews, especially. And uh, 
it is said that he was the one who several uh, tens of thousands of serbs as well yeah no and then also he raised an army in africa to fight against the americans the brits and uh, yeah that was yeah he was very very enthusiastic to do that and he was uh, said the grand mufti of jerusalem at the time and he was the one that he said to have encouraged hitler to have the jews wear the patch the star he made them he made them do that and um yeah because of the the jewish well because islam has such a very low view of the jews and wants to wants to kill them has to kill them to bring back the end times so non-muslims are not greeted with assalamu alaikum right the peace be upon you they're not greeted that way and they must keep to the side of the street any non-muslim who's a subject of an islamic state must keep to the side of the street and if they see the Muslims coming on, they have to go to the narrowest part of the street and they have to let the Muslims pass. So may not build higher than or as high as the Muslims' buildings, though if they acquire a tall house, it is not burned down. They are forbidden to display wine or pork. They may not ring church bells or recite the Torah or the gospel aloud. Now think of this. In every Western country, you have Muslims blasting the their their mosques. They, they blast the... Uh, they pray from the five times a day, loudly. But in Islamic countries, you may not ring church bells. When I was in the UAE, they have some churches, but yes, they're not allowed to put crosses on the churches, not allowed to put crosses to be seen anywhere and may not be heard singing outside the walls of a church. But yet we allow the Azan to go wild five times a day. And of course, they are forbidden to build new churches. I've covered a little bit of this in the, in the last couple of weeks as well. So these are some of the restrictions, and this, this thing doesn't list them all. And um, if this non-Muslim subjects of the Islamic State refuse to conform to the rules of Islam or to pay the non-Muslim poll tax, then their agreement with the state has been violated. Right? The agreement is violated. And what do you think the punishments are for those who violate? The, those, the first thing that I, that I read to you are what the punishments are. That's first section 09. That, that defines the punishments that you will be given. When a subject's agreement with the state has been violated, the caliph chooses between the four alternatives mentioned above in connection with prisoners of war. A dimma or a dimmi is a prisoner of war. So I don't know why when you're discussing the, some of the stuff with uh, Muslims online, they fail to tell you all of these important things. And this section has been sanitized by the translator. Any comments, questions? No. Okay. So, I was just looking at the uh, at the uh, chat. I don't see anything exciting going okay. on there right now. Yeah, no. So now I just want to make a note. The penalty for fornication or sodomy, right? Just 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 briefly, since we are on the page, the legal penalty is obligatorily imposed upon anyone who fornicates or commits sodomy, no matter whether the person is a Muslim, a non-Muslim subject of the Islamic State, or someone who is an apostate who has left Islam. He or she is stoned to death. There it is in the Sharia. It's unambiguous. Lots of Muslims will lie about it. Or maybe they just don't know, but it's right there in the Sharia. And it's defined in section 012.6. If the penalty is stoning, the offender is stoned even in severe heat or cold. And even if he has an illness from which he's expected to recover. And here they're so kind, so kind. A pregnant woman is not stoned until she gives birth and the child can suffice with the milk of another. So yes, um, you can stone a pregnant woman, 
to death after just after she gives birth and someone else can take her baby so yeah so just so you know and of course if the offender is not someone with the capacity to remain chaste the penalty consists of being scourged that's with a whip 100 stripes that will kill you right and that happens in saudi arabia that happens in um, places like um, Aceh in Indonesia, that certainly does happen. Now, I want to mention something here. Let's go to, this is a book called The Origins of the Islamic State. Um, let's have a look. This is what this book looks like. This was, this is an original Islamic book translated as well. So, so you've seen the cover. And this tells the story. This is a biography of Muhammad. This is another one of his famous biographies. And here we have a note. These people didn't have money to pay the poll tax after they'd been conquered. And it says here, you have to sell your children and wives in order to pay the poll tax. So therefore, it is sunnah to go so far as to have people sell their children and their wives into slavery, into slavery to be able to pay the tax that the Muslims levy upon them if their country is conquered. Got time for a question? Yeah. Alex Arik says, did you guys know that the Ottomans got rid of Jizya with the approval of the Grand Mufti of the time? Like what time was that? For like 10 minutes in 1822? <laughs> okay, the Jizya cannot be abolished until Jesus comes back as a Muslim on the right hand of Muhammad destroys the church and turns everybody, forces everyone to be Muslim and, of course, kills all the Jews. Jesus so the Jews is going to kill all the Jews. Yeah, he's going to fight with Muhammad against the Jews because the Jews are the evil ones. And, um, yeah, that's something I really want to get into one day. Um, you know, like every single conspiracy theory told about the Jews is found in charter, in the, in the Hamas charter, the Hamas constitution chapters article 22 and 32 it's a joke but of course articles one and two of the Amaz charter specify that there are members of the muslim brotherhood and the muslim brotherhood practices occult um practices the occult it states it in article two of the muslim brotherhood charter that the muslim brotherhood practices occult practices and uh, yeah it's just one of those weird things ottoman history is so romantic but fortunately so go to the jizya now look you can repeal some of these things or you can minimize some of these things but you're not allowed to this this is this is orthodox islam this is the highest law in islam so i'm not sure what he's referring to um but getting rid of the jizya well who knows okay so so this was in effect and this has been in effect to sell your children and wives in order to pay the poll tax um i want to mention something okay you've seen this this isn't a different copy of the book and download a copy the links are in the description right but those are factual so let's step forward to the hedaya which is a very large several thousand pages worth of commentary on the sharia laws right so any questions there no i was just looking up uh alex who asked that last question and he is a mohammedan so that would kind of explain the uh misleading question yeah, the, the vagueness look right. i will note that this week i've noticed some incredibly stupid and i mean you have to be either you have to have psychotic levels of lying or you have to you have to be i don't know utterly retarded to say some of the things i've seen but i, I think that 
we've managed to to educate the general audience, I think, to a degree that they're able to now refute a lot of these things that Muslims would typically have used as defenses in their in their comments. But now they're starting to make the most outrageous lies. And also, I've, I've now come across dozens of people with names like um, Michael Hamilton, Sally Jones, that are out and out Muslims, but they're pretending to be Christians. This, I think, is becoming what has become extremely common. Right. So right. Well, Alex, I, Eric, Oh, well, I even went on uh, Alex Jones, what, last March or so, discussing that very fact that uh, a lot of Muslims were pretending to be Christians and spreading hate speech. Ah, Sonia just added, the Ottoman Empire abolished the jizya in 1856. It was replaced with a new tax, was called the Badal's Askari, a tax exempting Jews and Christians from military service. Okay, well, there you go. Interesting. So I, thank you, Sonia. So I guess when, once we look into this deeper, we're going to find that that Alex Eric's statements were missing a lot of interesting points because that's always, always the case. Right, so let's have a look here at something um, before I do, just, just the line that I picked up in the Hedaya. Because as being an apostate, this discusses the apostates, he has forfeited the protection of the law. An apostate from Islam has forfeited the protection of the law. Very interesting point. That's just really, really interesting to see that written out there like that. And now we're in chapter four. This is volume two of the Daya, and a link was provided in the description. Have a look. It's a link to archive.org. Archive.org has a huge selection of the Islamic books that have been translated and made public. And the nice thing is you can search through the books on archive.org. So it actually has a search function. So the Hidayah, it's Hidayah means guide. It's there's, bun, there's bunches of them. This is a four volume set though. It's about two and a half thousand pages or something. I haven't counted them exactly. It's two to 3000 pages or more of um, Islamic law. So yeah, let me go. Okay, so let's go to this one called the Institutes. Right, so we're going to go through a handful of pages of this. This is called the Institute. Oh, before I go on, let me let me do something else quickly. You know the guy that he mentioned that the the jizya must be collected with dignity. Basically, this guy, you know, has there has to be, you know, dignity in the collection of the jizya. I want to go through some other references. Let me just go through a quick reference here. Notice in the dummy, the honor of Islam lies in insulting the kufr and the and kafirs. One who respects the kafirs dishonors the Muslims. One who respects the Kafirs dishonors the Muslims. The real purpose of levying jizya is to humiliate them to such an extent that they may not be able to dress well and to live in grandeur. They should constantly remain terrified and trembling. It is intended to hold them under contempt and to uphold the honor and the might of Islam. This is from Sufi Saint Ahmad Sir Hindi. And he was uh, based in India from what, I, from what I've read about this guy. He was, he, in India, they suffered the worst genocide known to man, uh, uh, at least under Islam, and they lost something like 80 million Hindus were killed during the um, during the Islamic invasion, and this man was one of the people responsible for that. Now, the most protected and respected of all non-Muslims are the Dhamma. Now, when they say respected, I mean it's like yeah, well, for, for very very low values of the word respect. The people of the books, specifically, they would be Jews and Christians who agree to Islamic rule and pay the jizya, the tribute to the Muslims. Yet the word dimmi is derived from an Arabic root that means guilt or blame. 
satisfied. Now there are safeguards that are extended to protect the blameworthy, as in you pay us or you will die. Pretty much that's how the protection and safeguard works. Pardon me. A hypocrite is considered to be a Muslim in name only. They are distinguished from true Muslims according to the ninth surah, that's chapter nine of the Quran, with 929 and 95 being the famous examples. Slay the Jews, you know, slay the unbelievers wherever you find them, and so on. And by an unwillingness, so a hypocrite is someone who shows an unwillingness to fund holy war or to wage holy war. Quran 981, 986, fund, or 9121, fight holy war. So a hypocrite is someone who's unwilling to fight, fund, holy war. The Quran says that true believers fight and are ruthless to unbelievers, right? So we are given the jizya, this retribution, as our compensation to the Muslim for allowing them to fight holy war. Now, now we've got Tirmidhi declares that in normal conditions when Muslims are in power and they are not living as a minority, they are not under any compulsion or subjugation. It is an order for Muslims that they should not give leeway to non-Muslim and they should not greet them first, nor yield the way for them. In other words, the dhimmis must step out of the way of the Muslims. The Muslims must be seen to be superior, right? And notice we have Al-Ghazali. Last week, I read through the um, Jihad and it mentioned that the Caliph must go on Jihad at least once a year. And Ghazali says, yeah, one must go on jihad, e.g. Razia's raids at least once a year. And it says you can use a catapult against them, non-Muslims. And even if among them are women and children. Now, you'll see often these people are saying, and man, one of the things I've been thinking about is how they will lie in the comments. And um, who knows? Maybe they think they're being honest. Maybe they will lie too. That's always a possibility. Well, it's like but, that quote somebody posted uh, last week. Sergio sent it to us uh, about someone saying, "How you know if what they're doing is for God, how could it be a sin for their line?" You know, and yeah, the, and yeah, that's exactly. really what it exactly. comes down to. Yeah, I know. And um, they're allowed to kill women and children. One may cut down their trees. One must destroy their useless books. Right. And jihadists may take as booty whatever they decide, but they must destroy your useless books. That's why Islam has not ever evolved. That's why it, it cannot, because anything that disagrees or doesn't you know, comply with the Quran must be destroyed. That's why the Library of Alexandria was destroyed. That's why so much knowledge was destroyed. That's why ISIS was destroying things. Now notice the houses may not be higher than the Muslims. The dummy may not ride an elegant horse or a mule he may ride a donkey only if the saddle is made of wood. He may not walk on the good part of the road. Dummies must wear an identifying patch. Dummies must hold their tongue. So yeah, these are some of the nice things they say. The dummy is obliged not to mention Allah is apostle. Jews, Christians, and so on must pay the jizya. And on offering up the jizya, the dummy must hang his head, and that would be in shame, while the official takes hold of his beard, hits the dummy on the bone beneath his ear, the mandible. So yeah, that's just a little bit with regards to um, how the jizya is collected. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about the jizya now in detail, in specific from a manual that's got about 50 pages worth of discussion on it. And I'm not going to read every page, but just the highlights. Any comments so far? Nothing, right? Yeah, so Islamic charities are jihad funding. One eighth of the money that any Islamic charity collects must go to jihad. That is how it's split up. An eighth of that money must go to jihad. So have a note, 
that they speak of the tithe, okay, zakat, but they also speak of tribute. And tribute is basically what a conquered people pays you. And they also speak of the hire of slaves because slavery is legal in Islam. It's legal in the Sharia. It has never been abolished by, by Muslims. There's never been a Muslim movement to abolish slavery. That was a Christian movement, a specifically Christian Western movement. Uh, for instance, America. Now, there's an idiot on YouTube that I was, I was talking with, not talking with, but, you know, um, he claims that America has slavery today. Like, sure, whatever, buddy. Um, but America had slavery for 76 years. And then it abolished slavery as um, the UK also abolished slavery. And then together they have made sure that no one else practices slavery. Where we do have slavery today, right, is in Africa and in the Middle Eastern countries. So Africans are practicing slavery today and Muslims are practicing slavery today because slavery is still in the Sharia. Yeah, uh, Daniel Ritter says, it's funny, the Gnostic John Lash says that it was the Christians that burned down the Library of Alexandria. And in hindsight, you know, years ago, I used to buy that nonsense too. And in fact, about a decade ago, I interviewed John Lamb Lash, who, interestingly enough, he took over uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, crap work. Joseph Campbell was working for the CIA and SRI, SRI and right. headed uh, the Changing Images of Man project, which was kind of a post-MKUltra program. But uh, Lash brags that he is the continuer of uh, Campbell's work on that. But, you know, these guys, and you found a quote that you sent yesterday, I hope we get into, about Islam being the occultists. And uh, so Lash and these people are involved in spearheading that sort of thing. And Lash runs a cult in uh, Spain these days. Yeah, actually, I'm just going to let's drop this on the desktop. Actually, let's just move this over. This is from the Hamas Charter from Hamasistan, otherwise known as Palestine. So um, this is Article 2 of the Hamas Charter. Hamas formally, officially calls themselves the Islamic Resistance Movement. They claim to be 100% Islamic and they follow the Quran faithfully. They implement Islam faithfully. If you read the rest of the charters, um, Article 1 and 2 and so on, you read them all, it says so explicitly. There's no ambiguity. But notice they say here that the Islamic resistance movement is a wing of the Muslim Brotherhood or is the wing of the Muslim Brotherhood in Palestine. right? And it says here that the Muslim Brotherhood is characterized, so it's the largest Islamic movement in modern times, but it is also the largest secret society on earth. And it says it is characterized by its deep understanding and accurate comprehension and its complete embrace of all Islamic concepts. So as far as they, they say here, they are 100% accurate. But notice down the bottom here, it says science of the occult and conversion to Islam. The science of the occult. Now, this is something, if you read through the Sharia, you'll find the words Gnosticism liberally sprinkled throughout the Sharia. It is, so Gnosticism, the occult, is a, an integral part of Islam. It's an integral part of the Sharia and generally practiced by its higher echelon, but not known by its lower echelon because there's four levels of understanding within Islam. Again, every one of these claims that these idiots make about the Talmud and about the Jews is something Islam is guilty of, explicitly guilty of. We don't have to jump through hoops to find the stuff in Islamic text, although they have to lie about the Talmud to, to try and make that stick.
Now, uh, Alex, the Mohammedan said in the what chat. What about the letter of Baghdadi? Right. And, I, and looking it up, it says, looking it up very quickly, it says, letter in support of the end of modern slavery initiative act that'll so, be nice show us the sharia where the sharia abolishes slavery because dude it's everywhere it is so all, yeah all and it was a letter of these people supporting the end of slavery it didn't end slavery it, who says it wasn't a propaganda document specifically to mislead stupid westerners who don't know this stuff right these troubling things on the the sharia has evolved <laughs> the ijma cannot be evolved alex Thank you. Please don't lie to us. Okay? <laughs> he just admitted his own false argument. The Sharia has evolved. No, it cannot. No, the ijma, the consensus of the Muslims is closed. Unfortunately, the old scholars made this, and this is what it is. The only change that can be made to the Sharia is to add something new that is 100% in alignment with the Quran and with the consensus, right, with the Sharia, effectively, to deal with a new situation that evolves. Like, let's say, I don't know, um, cell phones, for argument's sake, some, some new technology. But you may not introduce anything. And that can only be done by the major scholars. But in the Sharia, slavery is all over these books. We're not talk here to talk about slavery today, specifically. But the rules on slavery are, man, you'll find them. The whole chapter's on slavery here. The Reliance of the Traveler, that translator, Keller, removed the chapter on slavery, stripped it out. But it's, I've got several, I've got about 15 different Sharia manuals we can go through. And believe me, slavery, there's no, there's no shortage of discussion around slavery in the Sharia because it's very much an institute, as they call it, it's an institute in Islam. Um, you know, yeah. Okay, so let's go on. So anyway, so they speak of the hire of slaves, right? I mean, if someone can tell me when specifically in the Sharia, this was made consensus and made also the science is settled we have a consensus no science is not a based not based on consensus based on fact based on truth based on research observation and conformance with reality consensus if you look up the word consensus within the sharia it is everywhere consensus is an islamic thing it's very much an islamic thing Right. And one day I should really just go to and just explain how every single thing that the Muslims accuse the Jews of, they are themselves entirely unambiguously guilty of. Right. Explicitly within their writings. And of course, they have to, have to tie the, the Talmud into knots to try and make it say what they claim it says, which it doesn't say. And uh, man, but yeah, but you, you people that all of these um, like Arab green Riyad Dawson and other people that, uh, <laughs> you know, Jussie Fats, handsome twat. These people are okay with it. As long as the Muslims do it, it's fine. But right. Yeah, sure. yeah. You know, they have to make up the stuff about uh, everything being uh, Judaism and Zionism, but they are 100% perfectly okay with all of this stuff being openly and easily available in Islamic texts. And uh, yeah. if you expose yeah. the Islamic texts, you are a traitor, you're a Jew, you're a sellout. You're a bigot. You're, you're, a, a, bigot. you're a bigot. I, I read from these texts. I've been, I've been, man, just reading from the out of these books. And, and, by, and the, by the way, we attacked yeah. them. They didn't attack us per... What they you, swarmed us with hundreds of trolls. Right. And, and they'll actually claim in their idiotic videos that we attacked them, not the other way around. I, you yeah, know, Alex, these, go ahead. You know, 
whatever. I mean, Alex Newman, I lived in Dubai for 11 years. I spent 11 years of my life there. I know Dubai. I flew in out of that, that place 200 times or more. I don't know. I, I've well, that's been to, a, yeah, that's what he's saying. He says that uh, the, the airport security in Dubai is slaves. Yeah, I used to work for um, Emirates Group Security, which was part of Emirates Group. Um, so, yeah, long story. But, um, yeah, the um, I, I know the Middle East very well. I've traveled all across the Middle East. Okay, let's see. So they speak of, now, in the language of the law, it denotes any established, um, I don't know, import exacted as a tax upon land or upon the persons of dhimmis or zimmis. Yeah, they call it zimmis because of the, um, I think it's called the ta in Arabic. Some say dhimmi, dhimmi. So we just, in English, it's just normally just made dimmi, anglicized as dimmi, which last is termed jizya or capitation tax. So you have a tax upon land and you also have a tax upon people. So if you're a farmer and your land's been conquered, you've got to take half your produce and pay it to the Muslims as tax. Okay, so wait, I want to, ah, give me one second. I want to get, I just realized now, I need to get a couple of documents. So let me just sure. bring those up. I just realized I prepared some documents that I'd forgotten about. And let me show you these. I want to mention this. Uh, hey, hey, Lloyd, it's Takia Tuesday at, at Takia Bell. <laughs> okay. Okay, <laughs> have a look here. So this is on Quran 929. And as you know, 929 is fight against those who have been given the scriptures, the Jews and the Christians that believe not in Allah nor the last day, right? And they follow not the religion of truth or Islam. And they do not submit to Allah through confession of Allah's divine oneness until they pay the tribute readily, being brought low, abased. That is 929. And if you read through this, now these are various tafsir, right? That was um, Ibn Abbas saying, look, it says exactly what it says. It's literal. We can, we can regard it as such. Fight those who do not believe in Allah, right? And being subdued, being made submissive and compliant to the authority of Islam. That's Tafsir al-Jalalain. Again, one of the major Tafsir authors, right? Or Tafsir collections. So they must pay the jizya tribute, the annual tax imposed upon them readily. They must pay it readily, compliantly by their own hands, being subdued, being made submissive. So the Tafsir are all of the, the word literally means interpretation and it is how verses of the Quran are interpreted by the major scholars. These interpretations were collected, compiled and made it into the Sharia. Right, the Sharia is now the ultimate sacred law of Islam. And again, so the Muslims are pure in religion and person. They must expel the idolaters who are filthy in the religious sense from the mosque, right? Idolaters were no longer allowed to go near the mosque. The, the mushrikun, that's us basically, are impure. Now people waffle on about, look what the Jews say. Look. We've had, a re we've had a reformation. The Jews have had their reformation. Islam was reformed in the 12th century, and this is the reformation. Non-Muslims are impure. Unless it was a servant to one of the people of the Dimma, Umar wrote to his governors to prevent Jews and Christians from entering the mosques of Muslims, and he followed his order with the last statement. Mm, so there we go. Verily, the mushrikun are impure. This ayah indicates that idolaters are impure, and the believers are pure, the best of people. Why? Because... The non-Muslims are the worst of beasts, the worst of creatures, the worst of creations, 
the evil of the wilderness. Those, that's how the translations are, are, are done. And the believers are pure. The Muslims are pure. The believer does not become impure, no matter what he does. If you fear poverty, now this is interesting. If you fear poverty, Allah will enrich you out of his bounty. That bounty is the jizya that is levied upon non-Muslims that were conquered by the Muslims. If you fear poverty, Allah will enrich you from other resources and feel themselves abdued. This means this will be your compensation for the closed markets that you feared would result. Therefore, Allah compensates them for the losses they incurred because they severed ties with idolaters by the jizya they earned from the people of the book. Allah compensates Muslims for their losses by the amount of jizya that they took from the people of the dhimma, the order to fight the people of the scriptures until they give the jizya. This is done purely to enrich Muslims. Fight against those who believe not in Allah, the people of the scripture, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued, humiliated, subjugated. When people of the scripture disbelieved in Muhammad, they had no beneficial faith in any messenger or what the messengers brought. Rather, they followed their religions because this conformed with their ideas, their lust, and the ways of their forefathers. Not because they are Allah's law and religion. Had they been true believers in their religions, their faith would have directed them to believe in Muhammad. So this, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you got to, you have to uh, go around and, and murder people. Those are some of the uh, perks that come with Islam, you know, that... You just have to ditch your old religion and living in Logos and, and just follow uh, murder. Yeah, and it says all the prophets. Now, now, if you read, man, if I go through the the, 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 the the manuals that the children learn from the age of five in the madrasas, I want to scream, man, because the, the nonsense they teach those kids in those, in those manuals. Because all the prophets gave the good news of Muhammad's advent. So Jesus was a prophet of Muhammad, right? The prophet foretelling about Muhammad. And commanded them to obey and follow Muhammad. So all the biblical prophets were all, Abraham and everybody, Moses, the works, were all foretelling the arrival of Muhammad. When Muhammad was sent, they disbelieved in him, though he is the mightiest of all messengers. They do not follow the religion of the earlier prophets because these religions came from Allah. So they're saying that all of these people were Muslims. Every single person in the Bible was a Muslim, all these prophets. But they didn't follow these religions that came from them because these suit their desires and their lusts. So they, they corrupted them and followed other religions like Christianity because these suit their desires and their lusts. Fight against those. Okay, this honorable ayah was revealed with the order to fight the people of the book. After the pagans were defeated, the people entered Allah's religion in large numbers. And the Arabian Peninsula was secured under the Muslims' control. Allah commanded his messenger to fight the people of the scriptures, the Jews and Christians, on the ninth year of Hijrah, and prepared his army to fight the Romans and called the people to jihad. Gather forces, he collected an army. Paying jizya is a sign of kufr and disgrace. Right? This, these are the, the major scholars, the absolutely major scholars of Islam. Until they pay the jizya, if they do not choose to embrace Islam with willing submission in defeat, and subservience. This is what Muslims see us as. This is what we have to be. They must feel themselves subdued, disgraced, humiliated, and belittled. Muslims are not allowed to honor the people of the Dhimma or elevate them above the Muslims, for they are miserable, disgraced, and humiliated. Right? And the Prophet said, 
if you meet any of them, right, do not initiate the greeting, the salam to the Jews and Christians. If you meet them on the road, force them to its narrowest way, narrowest alley. And with Christians, ensure their continued humiliation, degradation, and disgrace. So Muslims must ensure our continued humiliation, degradation, and disgrace. When you Muslims came to us, we requested safety for ourselves, our children, our property, and the followers of our religion. We made a condition on ourselves, that's the pact of the Umar or Dimma contract, that we will neither erect in our areas a monastery, a church, or a sanctuary for a monk, nor restore any place of worship that needs restoration. Those Muslims who come as guests will enjoy boarding and food for three days. We will move from the places we sit if they choose to sit in them. So if you're sitting somewhere, then the Muslims want to sit there, you got to move. We will refrain from erecting crosses the outside of our churches. We will not sound the bells in our churches or by servants who were captured by Muslims. So how can you capture, well, yeah, Muslims were capturing slaves. There you go. Um, these are the conditions that we set against ourselves and the followers of our religion in return for safety and protection. For the protection of the Muslims, you have to be disgraced, humiliated, subservient, and be treated like dirt. That is the kind of protection that the Muslims give the Christians they, when they talk about their famous protection. You're allowed to do with us what you are allowed of people of defiance and rebellion if we refuse to obey. And we saw kill them, sell them into slavery, and so on. <clears throat> and then the last stops here. Christians and Jews were guilty of shit. Their profession of belief in Allah was meaningless. In other words, our religions or our belief in God and so on is utterly meaningless to the Muslim. They did not really believe in the hereafter in spite of the fact that they believed in resurrection. So the Jews and the Christians have polluted their faith. So when people say the Bible was corrupted, well, yeah, you, are you a Muslim? Because that's what the Muslims are saying. You must be a Muslim if you believe their propaganda. The second reason why jihad should be waged against the Jews and the Christians is that they did not adopt the law sent down by Allah through, through Muhammad. This is the aim of jihad with the Jews and the Christians that we adopt the law sent down by Allah through Muhammad. In other words, that we become Muslims. This is the aim of jihad. So, but hold on, then he goes on. But the aim is not to force them to become Muslims and, and adopt the Islamic way of life. They should be forced to pay jizya in order to put an end to their independence and supremacy. They should not remain rulers and sovereigns in the land. These powers must be taken from them by the followers of Islam who should assume sovereignty and lead others towards the right way, while they should become their subjects and pay jizya. Jizya is paid by those non-Muslims who live as dhimmis in an Islamic state in exchange for security and protection. They willingly become the subjects of the Muslims who perform the duty of the vice regents of Allah on earth. At, this, at first, this command applied only to Jews and Christians. Then the Prophet himself said, the, the Zoroastrians too, and so on, and unanimously applied this rule to all non-Muslim non nations outside Arabia. It applies to everybody. Sharia law applies to you if you're an Eskimo living at the North Pole. Now, Christianity teaches Christians how to be Christians. Um, Buddhism teaches Buddhists how to be Buddhists. Sharia teaches non-Muslims, sorry, it teaches Muslims how to subjugate and control and politically manage other faiths, other people who are not Muslims. So 16% of the Islamic texts refer to Islam as religion. The balance is political and it applies to non-Muslims. 
the jizya, the Muslims have been Muslims have been feeling apologetic during the last two centuries, right? And so the Muslims should be should feel proud of such a humane law as that of the jizya. The Islamic State offers them protection if they agree to live as its dhimmis by paying jizya. It cannot allow that they should remain supreme rulers in any place, even in their own countries, and establish wrong ways and impose them on others. It is the duty of Muslims to exert their utmost to bring an end to the wicked rule of non-Muslims. Jizya is the price of freedom, which in following their erroneous ways, so, and it is a yearly reminder to them that they have been deprived of the honor of paying zakat in the way of Allah. They are forced to pay jizya instead as a price of following their ways of error. That is the tafsir. Alex, what do you say about what is it? Alex Eric, right? What's he what's he got to say now? Right, you know. So yeah. Uh, he's so, a little bit <clears throat> a little bit uh quiet there. He's he's out at uh Takia Bell. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um yeah. Anyway, so, so let me close this. Let me go. I just want to briefly go through. I'm not going to go at length. This is a document listing most of the hadith that discuss. This is the, these are all the hadith connected to Quran 929. And they all say the very same thing. I've been ordered to fight the people. Their blood and property will be blah, blah, blah. So, okay. He was made wealthy by Allah and his apostle. And he's keeping his armor for Allah's cause for jihad. Right? Son of Mary, Jesus, will shortly descend amongst the Muslims as a just ruler. He will break the cross and kill the pig and abolish the jizya, a tax taken from the non-Muslims who are in protection of the Muslim government. So Allah's messenger said, the son of Mary will descend among the Muslims as a prophet, as a, you know, and he will break the cross. In other words, destroy the church. Jesus will come back and say, you Christians, you know, you distorted the Bible. You, you lied about the fact that I was a Muslim, not a Christian. And that I was actually teaching Islam, not Christianity, and now I'm going to destroy the church. That is the story that Muslims tell. The people of Khaybar, they would have half the fruits and vegetation of the land they cultivated. So for farmers, these are Jews they're referring to here. These people were farmers and they took half of their produce every year from the land. And this was given as a tribute to the Muslims. I would have distributed the, so blah, 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 distributed the land of Khaybar. So, I mean, yeah, if you go to Quran X, the QURANX site, go to 929, verse 29, and click on the Hadith button, and you will see all of that, okay? He who fights that Allah's word, i.e. Islam, should be superior, fights in Allah's cause. So this is all the verses related to jizya, related to domination and subjugation of non-Muslims, okay? So, yeah, they this is, this is all of that. And it talks just about conquering, conquering, conquering. It's just line after line after line, right? So it says here, they have to provide oh, for them. It is the livestock of the jizya, or it is from the livestock of the jizya. You know, but I thought that was only Jews that called non-Jews Yeah, no, livestock. no. Well, in this case, yeah, they, they can take livestock. Yeah, I mean, this, this is this is stuff they're stealing, basically, from non Oh, I see, okay. So jizya is imposed on the people of the book to humble them, right? And it says... If they refuse to accept Islam, demand the jizya. When you lay siege to a fort and the besieged appeal to you for protection, do not accord them. Now watch, this is very interesting. If the Muslims make war on you, right, as they're required to. Now it says, when you, when you lay siege to a fort and the besieged people appeal to you for protection, 
Do not accord them the guarantee of Allah and his prophet. Do not swear in the name of Allah or Muhammad. Give them your own guarantee and the guarantee of your companions, for it is a lesser sin that the security given by you or your companions be disregarded. In other words, you break your promise. You, did, you, you break the treaty. And that then that the security granted in the name of Allah be violated. So in other words, you can say, they can say, look, we'll surrender if you let us go, if you let us leave. And you can say, yeah, sure, I'll give you my word. And then you can kill them once they open the gates because it's your word you're breaking and not the promise of Allah. Do not let them come out in accordance with his command, Allah, but do set your own command for you do not know whether or not you'll be able to carry out Allah's behest with regard to them. In other words, you can lie for Islam. You can lie. It, it, there's further confirmation of that, right? And he says here, Hizam happened to pass by people, the farmers of Syria, who had been made to stand in the sun. They have been detained for jizya. And they speak of Bahrain. So, so that's it. Just wanted to mention that. So there's plenty of corroboration from the major sources. So uh, I should get on with this. So we should be like 20 minutes, half an hour at most, I think, on this. Any comments so far, questions, anything? I'm looking in the chat. I don't see anything too exciting. Folks, throw up your oh, super Robert chat. Chibitsky, I don't know. Robert, um, the largest voting bloc in the UN is the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Conference. The Muslims are the largest single voting bloc in the UN. They control the UN, and they've been using the UN to pass a number of blasphemy laws. Um, yeah, notice how many false, stupid, completely irrelevant um, UN, um, what do they call them, resolutions that have been passed against Israel. But have you seen any passed against Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Iran? Like almost zero? Because they can do anything. They can get away with literally anything. They could murder and they do people in the streets and like the UN won't, won't say boo. Anyway, moving on. Let's just move here. So now we're looking at the Hedaya and it says, we are enjoined to make war upon the infidels of Arabia till they embrace the faith. Okay, and then he speaks of they subdued Iraq and they imposed tribute on the inhabitants and imposed tribute on the people of Syria. The Imam, whenever he subdues a territory by force of arms, imposes tribute upon their land and capitation tax upon their person. So you're double taxed. You're taxed on your property and you're taxed on your head as well. That's what cap the capitation tax means. It's a poll tax, it means a head tax, a tax on your head. Lands which the Imam subdues by force of arms are subject to tribute. Necessity that something be imposed and deducted from the subsistence of infidels. Okay. Tribute is the most suitable to their, to their situation as it bears the construction of a punishment. This is a punishment, right? It is a sort of hardship, a tax upon tribute land being due of, from farmers, even though the farmer has not cultivated it. If you own land, you owe money, even though you've not cultivated, made crops, and sold them. Now, they mentioned that Mecca, the prophet, conquered that territory. Do you see here how they um, proselytized, went and spoke? and No, no, no. It's force of arms, force of arms, force of arms. Weapons, territory by force of arms. Force of arms, weapons, warfare. That's how Islam spread. But if you read through the various Islamic books, I mean, good grief, the Muqaddimah by Ibn Khaldun, um, the, the setup, good grief, it's only warfare. There is no one that converts by, um, by, by way of, um, of being spoken to nicely. It's all at the point of the sword. It's insane, right? So, um, by the way, I want to just show someone this. 
You guys can see this clearly? Yep. Let me just max the screen. Okay, so have a look here. This is from the life of Muhammad, the Sirat Razul Allah, right? The apostle, this is Muhammad, said, kill any Jew that falls into your power. Thereupon, Muhayisa bin Masud left upon Ibn Sunaina, a Jewish merchant with whom they had social and business relations, and he killed him. Muhayisa was not a Muslim at the time, though he was the elder brother. When Muhayisa killed him, Muhayisa began to beat him, saying, you, you enemy of Allah, why did you kill him when much of the fat in your belly comes from his wealth? Muhayisa answered, had the one who ordered me to kill him ordered me to kill you, and this is his brother he's talking to, I would have cut your head off. He said that this was the beginning of Huayisa's acceptance of Islam. The other replied, by Allah, if Muhammad had ordered you to kill me, would you have killed me? He said, yes. By Allah, had Muhammad ordered me to cut off your head, I would have done so. He exclaimed, by Allah, a religion which can bring you to this is marvelous. And he became a Muslim. This is the word of Allah. Yes, Allah is most merciful and gracious and Islam is a religion of peace. Bullshit. Yeah, just thought I should share that. So let us, let me just find the necessary. So I'm going to read from here and I'm just going to skip through about 40 pages, well, 30 pages worth of, of stuff. But any comments on that? No. Okay, so... Oh, you were, oh, we were robustly with the black Hebrew Israelites. Okay, twats. Okay, so tribute land. So, okay, chapter three, chapter eight, sorry, my bad, of Jizyat or capitation tax. Jizyat or capitation tax is of two kinds, right? So there's Jizyat Anawiyan is another type, whatever, doesn't matter. The second type is that which the Imam himself imposes where he conquers infidels. So all of that lovely uh, money that those non-immigrants you know, those non-refugees are getting in London and getting in all these places they come and they get given welfare, that's jizya. You're paying them jizya, right? That's what they come for. That welfare that, that in Norway, Sweden, and all those wonderful places that they're bankrupting, that's jizya. <laughs> Capitation tax. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what they, because remember, now, we're not supposed yeah, to- Yeah, now, now it makes sense. Total sense. Yeah. Capitation tax is due only in lieu of destruction. And by destruction, they mean death. So you have a choice, capitation tax or death. So they would rather have your money because then they can fund themselves with nice houses and also they can then further spread the Islam by war. Capitation tax serves as an aid to the troops, right? So used to fund jihad. Capitation tax is due in lieu of assistance with person and property. In other words, because you're not fighting in jihad, because you're not providing resources for them to go fight jihad, therefore you pay the jizya instead capitation tax is to be imposed imposed because this is mentioned in the quran 929 and it's literal it is imposed as a return from the mercy and forbearance shown by the muslims in this case the muslims this is a very old book so as a mercy to you as forbearance they humiliate you subjugate you and make you pay money and it is a substitute for that destruction which is due upon infidels. So in other words, infidels should be killed, but as a substitute, the mercy is that they just take your money instead. That's so kind. 
Namely, that assistance which every subject of the Muslim government is by the law enjoined to afford towards, carry on, towards carrying on the enjoined war with infidels. So every Muslim pays a cut. That zakat must go towards the war enjoined with the infidels. So because the non-Muslim doesn't do that, he's then paying the jizya instead, which allows them to continue doing that. So, I mean, this is very clear. The, the, the Sharia is extremely clear on this point. If a Muslim army subdue infidel territory before any capitation tax be established, the inhabitants together with their wives and their children are all plunder. In other words, if they've conquered territory, everyone are slaves. They're plunder, they're war booty. And the property of the state, as it is lawful to reduce to slavery, all infidels. It is lawful to reduce to slavery all infidels. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know that that is blunt. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, Balloon says, would capitation tax be considered people? Would considering people on, as non-humans walking cadavers? Well, I, not not exactly, but I mean, I've just I've just answered I think with what I've said here, right? You are you are a resource meant to fund the wealth of Muslims and also their war to spread Islam. Their infidelity, now infidel, your infidelity towards God, right, is also an atrocious, or well, Allah in this case. The infidelity is also an atrocious, of an atrocious nature because they have apostatized. And after having been led into the way of the faith and made acquainted with its excellence, they must embrace the faith or be put to death. Awesome stuff. Now they're speaking of idolaters here, right, Apost apostates. Sharpie holds that it is lawful to make slaves of the idolaters of Arabia. So this is precedence that was set back in the day. And this precedence obviously spread because the precedent that's been set becomes a legal precedent and now it applies forward to everyone and anyone. Okay. So and upon being conquered, they become public property. So in Islamic law, if you become conquered, you become public property. If a Muslim army conquers the idolaters of Arabia or apostates, their wives and children are plunder. That is, they become property of the state. Sadiq made slaves of the women and children of the blah, blah, blah tribe when they apostatized and divided those slaves among the troops. Oh, wow. Sex slaves and oh, wow. Awesome stuff. And slew such of the men as did not return to the faith for the reasons before assigned. So, yeah, looks like you uh, make slaves and you kill them. And there, there you go. Um, the term apostate applies not only to individuals, but also to whole tribes. So, well, they can do groups of people, and so masses are also fine. Capitation tax is a substitute for destruction. And with respect to us, it is a substitute for aid in the wars of the faith. Jihad is a war for the faith. It's holy war, right? If you read through, I've got about nine different um, Islamic dictionaries, right, which are academic level, which are used in university. These are the best academic level ones. Every single one of them calls jihad a holy war. Every single one. I don't know why Muslims don't quote us out of those books. I don't know why they don't use these authoritative <laughs> books. Well. You know? Right, yeah. Capitation tax may be imposed upon those where they are capable of labor. Hmm, labor camps. I wonder who got where that idea started. A monk is not to be destroyed where he does not mix with mankind. Oh, so that's nice. Monks are not to be killed, right? Christian monks are not to be killed where they do not mix with mankind. Capitation tax, with respect to them, would be for the purpose of warding off their death. Awesome. 
So you do not kill monks when they don't mix with mankind, but they must still pay capitation tax. And if they didn't, they would be killed. Like the old, uh, like the old monasteries of uh, Matoya, Greece, etc. Yeah. Let's go through. Likewise, capitation tax, which is the consideration for protection of his person, right? Secondly, capitation tax is a species of punishment inflicted upon infidels on account of their infidelity. Whence it is termed jizya, which is derived from jizya, meaning retribution. Jennifer so, Lindsay, yes, like Hitler. Mm -hmm. Hitler, we've we've yeah, already ex we've already exposed how the Nazi Party or the uh, National German or the oh geez Nazi National Nazi Socialist Nazi. German Workers Party was uh, created and founded by Baron von Sabatendorf, who was yep. a, a Muslim and worked with Islam. Yes, you're correct. And a there. number of um, a number of the Nazis converted to Islam after the war. Um, there's a number of them that actually did convert. Here, let me uh, let me show. We showed some of these images in the past, but let me see if I can bring some up on the screen here, just so uh, folks can see this. But uh, here you go. Here's uh, Hitler with the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Uh, we have uh, several videos of them uh, praying too. But here is. Oh, sorry, it keeps flipping screens. There's uh, the Grand Mufti being saluted. Here's the uh, Waffen SS 13th. Uh, oh, did it again. 13th Hanjar Division, all praying. That's down in uh, Bosnia. That was the faction that killed uh, tens of thousands of Serbs and Jews, etc. But uh, there you go. Yeah, and this man is Yasser Arafat's uncle. So the Grand Mufti, this guy here, the Nazi, yeah. these are his Nazi troops. He was Yasser Arafat's uncle. Um, that people don't realize. They, then Yasser Arafat established the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, and a number of um, Nazi, senior Nazi officials. Uh, but that's a discussion for another day. I collected the notes. I was looking through various books today. They actually converted to Islam. So, yeah, so the tax that these Muslims are living for protection is a punishment. So I hope Muslims will finally start to say, yes, this is the fact, this is the truth, this is how it is, rather than saying, but, but we protect the Christians. No, yeah, yeah. The, the, the mafia also protect the people who live in their territory, the protection money. That's all it is. It's just protection money, like a gang, right? And um, so again, capitation tax is a sort of punishment inflicted upon infidels for their obstinacy in infidelity. So it's punishment. It must be exacted in a mortifying and humiliating manner. So I've got about, uh, we won't be that long, so I should be another 20 minutes or so and done. All right. It must be exacted in a mortifying and humiliating manner. According to one tradition, the collector is to seize him by the throat. Yeah, so get grabbed by the throat, shake him, and say, pay your tax, dummy. It is therefore evident that capitation tax is a punishment. And when two punishments come together, they are compounded. And this is called hid, or the singular, singular of hudad. Uh, that's the punishments you know, that you find in the Sharia. Secondly, capitation tax is a substitute for destruction, for death, in other words. They use lovely words. Seriously, man, when they translate these things, they, they like hide things, they drop whole chapters. They, some of the stuff isn't, in the, isn't even in the Arabic. You know, you discover, you look and you find out. It's not in the Arabic, it's not there. But capitation tax is a substitute for death. It is a substitute for death. Infidels are liable to be put to death in the future. 
So in other words, if you keep paying the money, you are saving your life today and you could only then die in the future. So your death will remain in the future as long as you keep paying the protection money. That's what jizya is. And, that, and this is what will happen to non-Muslim subjects of an Islamic state. So ISIS was 100% orthodox Islam. Just so they you know, I'm, I'm showing the Islamic uh, Nazi video, a uh, little clip here on screen for a second. Okay. Just so people can see all of the Nazis. Uh, it's was German. You went to Turkey, lived with a Turkish family. So big, uh, you know, that's always suppressed there, but uh, that uh, the Nazis were largely controlled by Islam. It's, yeah, no, and people always compare the mafia to Islam, and I believe the mafia got their tactics from Islam when Sicily was invaded by the Moors. Yes, more, more than likely. So there you go, folks. I have. I mean, I think I I've have been doing one. some research today on the Nazis and um, the Nazis and Islam. Uh, I've got some notes on that. I've actually got a book on that that I was looking through today. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no worries. Uh, people need to know this. I mean, he went to Hitler and he volunteered, became a general. Look at this guy. This is this is a German. That's a German SS general. I mean, SS, you know, officer. The construction of churches or synagogues in the Muslim territory is unlawful. Why do you think Saudi Arabia has no mosques? 5,000 mosques in Germany by now, or whatever the case is, or whatever. <laughs> um, but, but not one in Saudi Arabia. Like, awesome stuff. There's a handful in Dubai. Look, Dubai, I like Dubai. Dubai is a great place. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time there. Um, had its ups, had its downs. Same as anywhere else, I guess. But they've got a handful of churches. But, um, but why aren't they just... You know, there's no there's no real reciprocation, and that would be nice to see. But in Saudi Arabia and other places, I mean Nigeria, Christians are being genocided there. They're being murdered, right, by Muslims. So this is being this is forbidden. So construction of churches and synagogues in Islamic territory is unlawful. This is forbidden in the traditions, right? So yeah. So dummies should not be permitted to celebrate the tokens of infidelity, right? And they shouldn't wear their, you know, shouldn't wear certain ornaments that, that they would normally wear, certain things that they would wear. And obviously they can't ring their church bells and they can't heard, be heard singing outside of their churches when they have these services. Dhimmis are, are to be prohibited from constructing churches or synagogues, not only in cities, but also in villages and hamlets. Now, look, you will find some degree of variation. Remember, there are four major schools of, of Islamic, of Sunni jurisprudence, and as well as the fifth, the Jafari school in in the Shiites, amongst the Shiites, which is recognized by the Sunnis. So there are slight differences. Some will say, well, yeah, they can. Some will say, no, they can't. You know, there are slightly different rules. Generally, this is the rule, right? So this case supposes a city or a country conquered by the Muslims. And again, this assumes conquering, conquering, force of war, armies, arms, force of war, conquering. You know, it's just, they constantly talk about in those terms, these books, the, the constantly about warfare, and dominating people through warfare. In the territory of Arabia, dummies are prohibited from constructing churches or synagogues, either in cities or villages, because the prophet Muhammad has said, two religions cannot be professed together in the peninsula of Arabia. There you go. Now, is this in the Quran or is this in the Hadith? If it's in the Quran, then the Quran is literal. And if it's in the Hadith, then of course the Hadith themselves are law. And they can't come and tell us, well, you know, I don't like this idea. I do like that one. 
when Muhammad petted a dog and he gave a dog water. That's a great hadith. I love that. Muhammad's amazing. Oh, but this one where he stoned a woman to death. I don't like that one. That's not true. That's not true. I hear Muhammad chopped off the hand of a man. That's not true. Don't like that one. But the one where you get that dog water was awesome. Stop picking and choosing people. Yeah. So it behooves the imam to make a distinction between Muslims and dummies. So here there's a very clear, call it racist, distinction between Muslims and lesser people. Somehow, just like the um, very, very unusual, I wonder who, did the Nazis have the concept of the Untermensch? The, you know, the, the under people, the less worthy people, the, hmm, I wonder where they got that. Could, could, could Hitler have gotten that idea from them, from the Sharia? Oh my, yeah, well, I think he did. So, um, especially with the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem living with him for three years. Yeah, who knows? So distinction between Muslims and dummies in dress and equipage. So they must be seen to be different. They must be seen to not wear the same clothing. It is therefore not allowable for dummies to ride upon horses or to use armor or to have the same saddles and wear the same garments or headdresses as Muslims, as Muslims, etc. And they cannot wear the kiftij openly, whatever that is, on the outside of their clothes. The kiftij is a wooden is a woolen cord or belt, which dummies wear around their waists on the outside of their garments. And if they ride upon any animal, they must be directed, if they ride upon any animal, to provide themselves a saddle like the pannier of an ass. Muslims, Muslims are to be held in honor, contrary to dummies who are not to be held in honor. They are not, sorry, they are not saluted first. They are not greeted first. And if there were no outward signs to distinguish Muslims from dummies, they might be treated with the same respect. So you have to wear different clothing to signify that you're not a Muslim so that you are not treated with the same respect, which is not allowed. So in other words, the way Muslims are treating us today while living in non-Islamic lands, which the Sharia defines as enemy lands, enemy lands, right? Any non-Muslim land is an enemy land. This is official in the Sharia. So the way they're treating us today is based on the fact that these are not yet Islamic conquered territory, right? And so the way they're treating it now is one way, but once that becomes Sharia land and there's no way that other countries, like let, let's say let's say you went to visit Saudi Arabia today and you were murdered for it. And that is the law, that isn't Sharia. You can, they can do that, right? You're an infidel, you're a foreigner, you have no rights to be there. They can kill you, but the American government might take exception to that or the UK government. And there would be a massive, massive diplomatic fallout it would cost a fortune to sort that out. So they don't do it. They, what they have to you are given a permit, right? The visa in Islam is a little bit of a different thing than, than the normal visa. But yeah, so you're given, so, but imagine once this becomes the law everywhere, this is how non-Muslims are gonna be treated under Islam. This is the law, right? And, um, and they also, you're not allowed to wear a silken belt. You're not allowed to wear nice things. It is requisite that the wives of dummies be kept separate and it's also requisite that a mark be left upon their dwellings to mark out your dwellings. And dummies are not permitted to ride at all, except in cases of absolute necessity. You're not allowed to ride a horse, people. You're not allowed to ride. You must walk. You have to be humiliated. You must alight whenever he sees any Muslims assembled. So if you're on your little ass, because you're allowed to ride an ass, okay, um, except when you're not allowed to ride at all, you must get off and walk when you go past any Muslims. Dummies of the higher orders must also be prohibited from wearing rich garments. They must submit to the capitation tax, right? And submission. So they speak of submission. You have to submit. Islam means submission. Muslims must submit. Non-Muslims must also submit. 
the contract of subjection. And there we go. This is the contract that you sign. You literally become, once they've conquered the territory, right? You, they, they might make you sign a literal piece of paper with your contract, right? But by default, when that land was conquered, you are assumed to be a dhimmi and the contract of subjection, right? Is merely a substitute for belief. So because you don't believe, you are subject to a contract of subjection. Could you just look up the meaning of subjection, please, Jan? The meaning of the word subjection? This, uh, sure. And while I'm looking this up, you can uh, answer to Andrew McGinnis, who's just stunned. He thinks we're doing a psyop by showing actual Islamic text because he's caught up in the scary nice Zionist APAC thing that we already exposed, what, eight, nine months ago by showing their actual economic influence and everything? These Come on, people Andrew are... McInnes is a Muslim called called Babu Babu Prick. <laughs> I think that was a that was a character in the most recent Star Wars movie, Babu Prick. And um, come on, dude, I'm reading straight out of the Sharia. Um, of course, you're a Muslim. You need to defend your Sharia. But this is, I didn't write this. This is Islamic law. This is the law in Islam. This is what will happen if non-Muslims are finally made into dhimmi. Well, see, that's Islamic that's law. the official approved, uh, you know, narrative yeah. that you you bash the Jews and everything is okay, and then, you know, Robert yeah. Debicki and and Andrew McGinnis, you know, if, you know, oh well, look over there, ignore the scary Jews. You know, fourteen million Jews worldwide against. <laughs> You know, 1.8 billion Muslims, and oh yeah, we're we're actually, you know, it's a psyop because we're showing the actual text on screen that anyone with an yeah. 85 plus IQ can fact check. See, but if you can't, war. Robert and Andrew, that's your own problem. But it's not right. a distraction. Just do some fact checking. We've done what is this? 24, 25 shows now exposing this. So go through the reason. whole series Still. and fact check, and you know. Show it wrong, and we did what four this is, this four is shows. Wood for wood. What? Well, no, I was wood I was just going to say we did four shows, also looking at the claims against Zionism, against APAC, against the USS Liberty. We went through all of that stuff. Why don't you guys debunk those shows and show us how it's wrong? But you guys repeat the same dumb crap that yeah. Ryan Dawson and Adam Green and the GDL and these frauds. Arab spew at green. you arab, arab green. green arab green Let, let's get his name right you know here's subjection on screen here the act or state <clears throat> act state or fact of exercising lordship control dominion domination etc in into under <clears throat> domination or, or dominion or control of a superior power so there you go. There's subjection. So you're under the dominion of a superior power, and that's that's precisely what they want. So, and that that is what this is all about. Okay, that is entirely what this is about. Um, let me just show this for a moment. Um, let me see if I can make this larger. No, I can't. So this is the term deen. Islam is a deen. It is not a religion. Islam doesn't even call itself a religion. It calls itself a deen. Religion is one tiny aspect. Okay. Religion is one tiny aspect of the deen. It says here, the deen is one of the most significant terms in the Quran. Okay. And it is popularly translated as religion, but its scope is in fact much greater than the term religion can offer. 
The first meaning is subjugation or dominance, administrative or legislative authority to put pressure or to be obedient or using power to enslave or to make one obedient. In Arabic, the tuhum fadanu means I subjugated them so they obeyed me. Also, the tuhum means I ruled or governed upon him. The word dayan is used to indicate a person who dominates and rules over a state, a nation, or a tribe. That is the first meaning of the word deen. The second meaning is obedience and bondage. Bondage would mean slavery. Subordination and domination by someone and bearing humiliation under subjugation and power of others. As stated, the tomb for Danu means I subjugated them so they obeyed me. The obedient tribe is called blah, blah, blah. Here, al-deen does not mean religion, but it means obedience. The third meaning, oops. The third meaning is rules, regulations, ideology, doctrine, custom, trading, tradition, sorry, or religion. And finally, the fourth meaning is reward, repayment, justice, and accountability. Notice religion is just one tiny, tiny part of Islam. It's roughly at best about 15, 14%. About 14% of Islam is religion. The balance is, as you see, in subjugation, dominance, and so on. Um, yeah, make of that what you will. That's what it is. So, so who was this twat now again? Um, Andrew McInnes. Can't, so yeah, um, good show of stupidity, dude. Now carry on so we can laugh at you. It's nice to have a clown on the stage. Always good to have someone to laugh at, you know. Um, yeah, the next yeah. one is you're so serious. You know, you're so serious. Uh, at least I'm not a gatekeeper. And look, we're on his channel here, and he's got Zionist effect, you know, the typical dumb uh, disinfo stuff that we've spent the last year debunking. What an idiot. I mean, this is Islamic law. Now, this does not exist within the Jewish law. It certainly doesn't. Okay, they can claim all they want. We've done four shows on that. We've done six shows, actually, about the Jews. Um, at least I'm but, not a gatekeeper. Uh, yeah, how is yeah. it that these people are so dumb? They think showing actual primary text that anyone can fact check is gatekeeping. What does he say? Study that fake ideology, not to religion. What does Robert Dubitsky mean? Robert, can you explain that? Uh, he doesn't have the IQ to formulate it. He, he, he claims that he actually studied Islamic texts already and they why are why do. are we why are we talking about this stuff because he already knows Dude. it you know it's like okay it's then shut up and allow the other people who don't that haven't actually studied but he can't formulate a reasonable thought just like you so serious the only way people debate me is to lie to me about it right and I then never. and and you get you get these you know sub 75 iq folks like you so serious who have to say you're a gatekeeper because they're not smart enough to deal with all of the citations we've we've provided this this is islamic law i mean look the thing is that they've been pushing this lie about the bible they've been pushing lies about the catholic church they've been well the church they've been pushing lies about about you and i yeah they've been pushing lies about the jews and here we have it in black and white this is the official islamic the official official islamic point of view regarding non-muslims and right. and never mind that for really? over a for over a year they couldn't find any evidence of their claims in the talmud and the bible and yeah. the old testament yeah. well, so let me finish here let me because we're going to be a, yeah. let me finish uh so i just want to look as you can see this is repetitive right so the contract of subjection is merely a substitute for belief and a contract of subjection is dissolved only by dummies 
absconding to the territory of the infidels, so running away, right? In other words, territories that there's nothing conquered by the Muslims yet, right? And you'd be a virtual apostate and you forfeit the protection and privileges of a believer. So it didn't mean upon breaking his contract of subjection, now who would want, now who would not want to be subjected by Muslims, right? Under Sharia law like this, stands in the same predicament as an apostate. He's condemned to death. It says here, he is condemned to death upon absconding, right? And the same manner as holds in the rules with respect to apostates. And what do they say about apostates? You kill them. So I don't know. It's, it's like, guys, we need a punishment for, uh, for someone who didn't brush his teeth, kill them. Okay, uh, guys, we need a punishment for someone who committed murder. Kill them. Guys, we need a punishment for someone who didn't brush his hair. Kill them. It's like all they got, like, like what the hell? But if the dummy be made captive, he is a slave. Oh my golly. So if you're a dummy and you run away, they catch you, you're then a slave. And contrary to the case of an apostate who, if he repents, not is put to death. Okay, I think I, I get to mean put to death probably has a very clear meaning. I hope that's clear there. And then um, Christians, it says here, are subject to double the zakat. It doesn't mean you're paying zakat. It means you're paying twice <laughs> what a Muslim would pay. Of zakat, twice as much is levied upon the property of Christians as is levied upon the property of Muslims because Omar made peace with them upon this condition. And in the preference of his other companions, none of whom disputed it, Twice as much is taken from the women of that tribe as from the Muslims. The above peace established the taking of double zakat, and zakat is incumbent upon women. This is jizyat, and name it whatever you please, jizyat or zakat. So it is capitation tax. So if they say zakat upon Christians, it's not the same, because the, the financial amounts, the, the way the money is distributed, the whole legal description of what the money is. Zakat upon a Muslim is not the same as now, as we see here, zakat upon a Christian. They have different uses, different applications, and so on. There are laws, there's like another 50 pages just talking about zakat and how zakat is distribu distributed and how that's managed. Um, yeah, something about facts get mad at the messenger. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like, I didn't write this book. I'm just reading it, you know. But I mean, the thing is, they know that slowly, I am coming for all of their nonsense, all of their lies, because they don't have a leg to stand on. I mean, if one, why do you think Caleb ran away from the debate? <laughs> he follows <laughs> me, get, debate me, and then runs away. Like, okay, sure, whatever. Dude. Right, yeah, so, exactly. Oh, Caleb, all of these guys, none of them have been willing to debate us on any of this stuff, you know, and then uh, Watson, you had this, this Robert, uh, you had this. You uh, are gone. Bye, Anthony. So. Of the laws concerning apostates, let's just move on and finish it with the chat after it. So when a Muslim apostatizes from the faith, there are only two modes of repelling the sin of apostasy, death or Islam. Islam is preferable to death. Interesting. So that's on the, so we're nearly done, guys. We're nearly done. So I just want to briefly dip into apostasy because it seems to tie jihad, jizya, and apostasy seem to be very much tied together in the law. If you read, as I said, I've got about 15 of these different um, Sharia manuals, and they all say the same things. There's no, there's, the one will say, well, uh, stone her to death, and the other one will say, hit her with a stick until she dies, and the other one will say, starve her to death. You know, so like, either way she dies, just how she wants to die, or how they allow her to die, that's the, that's the only change. Because Islam is preferable to uh, destruction. And Islam's a religion of peace. You can choose to be stoned, starved, or hit. Right. Yeah. That's great. That's that's choice. Choice is very important. Choice is important. Islam gives you choice. So yeah. And um okay. 
So also notice that a call to the faith has already reached the apostate, right? So he can be killed, right? And an apostate is to be imprisoned for three days. But this one, if you read through different manuals, it's all optional. It's not compulsory. But it only implies that if you require a delay, three days may be granted him. And God says in the Quran, slay or Allah, sorry, not God. Allah says in the Quran, slay the unbelievers. And here they, they, they take that line straight out and they say it means literally what it says, right? And... Um, and slay the unbelievers without any reserve of a delay, right? And the prophet has also said, slay the man who changes his religion. And that's from a hadith. And that hadith is authoritative. Why are Muslims telling us that this is not the case? When very clearly it is authoritative in the Sharia. And secondly, an apostate is an infidel enemy. An apostate is the same as a non-Muslim who is by definition an infidel enemy. I'm an infidel enemy, you're an infidel, you, 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 you're all infidel enemies according to the Islamic law. And you have received a call to the faith and you may be slain upon the instant. Now they're referring specifically to the apostate, but unfortunately the same applies to you as well. And um, so back in the day before Western countries became fairly strong, that was what happened. That's how Islam dominated 70% of, um, of what do they call Christendom. And an apostate is termed on this occasion an infidel enemy because he un he's undoubtedly such and he's not protected. Hence, it is proved that he's an infidel enemy. That is, it is lawful to kill an apostate without making any attempt to recover him from his apostasy. In other words, that three days is just optional, okay? And they speak of here, whether he be a free man or a slave, nothing is incurred by the premature killing of an apostate. There is no penalty for killing an apostate prematurely. In Mus if a Muslim woman become an apostate, she is not put to death, but is imprisoned until she returns to the faith. Shafi maintains that she is put to death. Now, how she's put to death, there's a bit of debate about that sometimes. It is a crime of great magnitude to become an apostate and therefore requires that its punishment be proportionately severe, namely death. Leaving Islam, you see, because... You say baya, right? Your, your shahada is like what they call baya. It is a contract. It is literally a contract between you and the caliph, you and Allah. And if you break the contract, the penalty is death. Now, if you were to make a contract with Satan and you broke the contract with Satan, what would the penalty be? I wonder. I, I got to wonder just out of sheer curiosity. A crime of great magnitude. So there's a distinction between those who are apostates and those who are infidels. They do make a distinction. And they talk about the harbi, a term which the translator has generally rendered as alien and which applies to any infidel not being a subject of the Muslim government. And here's a little bit of fast and loose that these guys are playing because a harbi, a kufar harbi, is a kuf, is a kafir of war. In other words, an, a war infidel, right? A harbi is a war infidel, someone who's not, um, who's basically not subjected under Islam. So in the case of an apostasy of men, the punishment is not deferred to a future state, right? It is required to repel their present wickedness because they have become enemies of the faith. And talking about women again, she refuses the right of Allah after having acknowledged it. She must be compelled by means of imprisonment to render Allah his right. A female apostate is compelled to return to the faith, whether she be free or a slave. Hey, slaves are still around. It is elsewhere mentioned that a female apostate must be daily beaten with severity until she returns to the faith. Religion of peace, people. Religion of peace. A piece of you here, 
a piece of you there, another piece of you a little further away. An apostate's right over his property is dissolved. He's become an apostate. So there's a very much a strong correlation there between the dhimmi and between the apostate. They're both enemies of the state. They are both under no longer under protection of the state. And also for the dhimmi, under many conditions, the right over his property is also dissolved. So an apostate is an infidel enemy and he's in our hands until he be put to death. This circumstance proves that his right over his property is destroyed. If however, he does not again become a Muslim, but die or be slain in his apostasy, or he absconded to a foreign country, then the Kazi issues a decree of expatriation and his infidelity becomes then confirmed and established. So when someone leaves Pakistan after becoming a Christian, then a decree is issued and he is then considered an enemy infidel who's living in a foreign land. And of course, it is legal. It's actually legal then for any, not, for any Muslim to kill him, especially while he's fleeing out of the country. It is legal without any punishment for a, not, for a Muslim to kill him. So issues a decree connecting him with a hostile countries because under Sharia, all non-Muslim countries are technically hostile countries. They are Dar al-Har, the house of war, also known as enemy lands. So yeah, I'm nearly there. This is just a few points I want to raise. So a Muslim cannot inherit from an infidel as he's an infidel enemy, but they, they get around all that stuff. I mean, they, they, they find the laws. The wife of an apostate being a Muslim inherits of him. The husband in this case becomes an evader. The husband of a female apostate inherits provided she, have, she has apostated during sickness. So if you've been sick, maybe you lost your mind. Maybe you weren't in the best of health. You weren't thinking straight. Whilst in health, the husband cannot inherit of her, right? So they've got all these weird rules. The argument of our doctors is that the apostate, by going into a foreign country, becomes an alien. Aliens are the same as the dead with respect to the laws of Islam. In the same manner, so someone asked me earlier, someone asked me earlier, Robert Debit, is this Robert Debitsky guy? Is he or? I don't know. Robert's uh, or why so serious is the uh, is the sub sixty five no, IQ one. I, I think the guy's guy is mentally retarded. Yeah, goes to show how dumb I was. Yeah, you are dumb. Why so serious? You're incredibly dumb, right? It's like um, all he can say is Israel, Zionist, blah blah blah. I mean, he's got the laundry list of talking points. Now, you know, this Robert Kubitsky is he actually? I can't tell whether this guy is Jesus with a basket case. I mean, okay, there you go. The guy's obviously a Muslim, right? right yeah, Zionism is idolation or. Uh, idolization it's like if we expose that you know the truth about the uss liberty about the talmud etc we're idolizing it but never mind that all of the things that they lie about yeah. in the talmud are found in these texts that we're showing so yeah. the hypocrisy is the hypocrisy of these nutbags is or sack and nuts or whatever they are is absolutely you know astounding you think i wonder if any one of these twats like why so serious do you think you'd actually debate me on this stuff because, man, I'd mop the floor with people on this. So the argument of our doctors is that the apostate, by going into a foreign country, becomes an alien. And in the same manner as the power seizes with the dead, a desertion to a foreign country amounts to death. So legally, um, Sonia, you, you're a dead person, according to Islam. And technically, according to your family, who are, say, are Muslims, you are seen as a dead person. Although, of course, you have a death penalty imposed upon you because, you know, a warrant for your death if you do enter, you know, I mean, it's, it's complicated. You can read it all here, but it's weird, man. 
And a dummy dies without heirs. His property goes to the collective body of the Muslims. And, and an, an apostate, in accordance to, well, is in the same predicament with a hostile infidel that comes into the Muslim territory without protection. An apostate is also a hostile infidel in the Muslim territory without protection. So that's so when you go to a Muslim country and you get your visa on arrival or whatever, that is actually also legally under the Sharia, it is a contract of protection. It actually protects you because you are now a hostile infidel. You come into Islamic territory and you are then given protection. That's why you can't be killed out of hand or captured or made into a slave. So a hostile infidel comes into the Muslim territory without protection is liable to be put to death. In other words, a Christian, a non-Muslim who walks into, back in the day, who enters a, non, a Muslim land, is liable to be put to death. That's the difference with getting a visa when you go to America, you get given food and a bed, versus you go to a Muslim country, you get killed, according to the Sharia. The fact that they're not doing this out of hand is simply due to the pressure from, well, international political pressure up to this point. So, yeah. Do we have any more idiots in the comments? Oh, Robert is is leading the uh, "I'm with Stupid" brigade. Know. You know, and know. and, and this clown this clown says that he's actually studied Islamic texts and he already knows all about it, but he can't. Who said this? He, uh, Robert Debicki, but he can't understand why we why we would be showing actual. Uh, Islamic text, so he's probably but, one, you know, he's probably dude, another. You know, I've met so many people that claim to have studied Islamic text, dude. I've studied them. <laughs> I've studied them. Yeah. Um, yeah, we nearly done. So let me just, uh, good grief, went a bit longer than I wish. We waffled on and I just, yeah. let me just finish this. If an apostate has carnal connections with a Christian female, slave. Oh, slave. Oh my gosh, I thought Islam doesn't do slavery. I thought Muhammad abolished slavery. Well, there's no proof of that. He set free a couple of slaves. Yeah, that did happen, but he also happened to own dozens of slaves uh, that he didn't free. Um, so yeah, and so, had sex with nine-year-old girls. Yeah. So if an apostate has carnal has sex, in other words, with a Christian female slave who has been in his possession during the time he was a Muslim, and this slave produces a child after more than six months, then this child is his child, but yet does not inherit from him. If I ever the female slave become a Muslim, the child inherits from him. I mean, these weird convoluted laws. If an apostate goes off with his property, property into a foreign country, and the Muslim forces afterwards obtain possession of that property, such property is plunder and the right of the state. So Muslim forces fighting, fighting, it doesn't stop. If an apostate deserts to a foreign country, leaving a slave in the Muslim territory, then the slave belongs to his son and the son constitutes the slave or whatever but yeah the son gets the slave this is to say take it in war take the property in war in a military excursion against the people of that country this doesn't say defensive they also islam is only about defense no jihad is quite bluntly offensive warfare there are no mentions of it being defensive war primary references are always and all of the examples are always offensive war so we're going to finish off on the, we're like the last page now and I think this would be the last page. Yeah, this should do it. So it mentions here, um, it talks about that we, know we have a boy who is under age. He is not, and he, he's not, he, he leaves Islam. He's not to be put to death, but he must be imprisoned. So yeah, so they, there you go. That's the mercy of Islam. That's the kindness of Islam. That is talking about the treatment of people under 
Islam. Um, this, you can get on archive.org. So this book is the Hedaya, okay? And this was authorized by the government of Pakistan, if I recall, what we today call Pakistan. No. And thanks to so, uh, Steve Mercer and the Dashing Rogue for their uh, super chats. Really appreciate any and all support. Um, please also hit the uh, subscribe and uh, notifications thing. I'm going to try to put up a uh, membership here in the uh, next week or so. I think it just got approved tonight while we were talking. But, you know, I was thinking maybe we could start doing a, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minute Q&A after the uh, show for people who are members of the uh, channel. So uh, this guy is just dumb. Wow. No, this, why so serious? I mean, this is this is actual Islamic law, right? I met a guy who claimed, well, not met, but online again, a scholar who claimed to study Islam, and he doesn't even know what the Sharia is. You know, like, like huh? Like, what kind of... A, so the only thing, so the ignorance is their defense and lies are the defense. It's it's incredible how dumb they... I mean, the, all they can do is lie to me at this point because I know this stuff too well. Yeah. Well, you know, so, this clown, Why So Serious, has uh, the Joker for his avatar. So, um, And then he's got, you know, on his channel, he's got Jews of Hollywood and, and this kind of stuff. So he's your typical, uh, well, I mean, you know, if we look at Zionist effect, et cetera. He's not, he, you know, he doesn't care that the actual stuff, and you, you want to stop your share screen. Uh, he doesn't care that this stuff is found actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I was actually going to show something. Just uh, you guys can see this. Um, I mean, here we've got proof that the Muslims expelled the Jews from Arabia, Jews and Christians, in fact. Right. So the Muslims expelled the Jews and the Christians from Arabia, and they said they would leave none but Muslims because that was Christian and Jewish land, Arabia, all of Arabia. Right. I've read you this portion here. This is proof here. This is from 1925. This is the book called the Aram al-Sharif, a brief guide okay, to the Al-Haram al-Sharif in Jerusalem. This was published by the Supreme Muslim Council, which was headed at the time by the Nazi imam that we showed earlier. right? And its identity with the site of Solomon's temple is beyond dispute. This is the spot, according to the belief, on which David built an altar unto the Lord. The Muslims admit that this was the site of the Jewish temple. They admit it in their own books. So I don't know how now suddenly people want to complain and say, but this was was Islamic territory. No, it wasn't. They, they admit here that they took the land. And it says here, for the purposes of this guide, which confines itself to the Muslim period, the starting point is the year 637. In that year, the Caliph Omar occupied Jerusalem, invaded Jerusalem. Let's have a look at the Hamas conspiracy charter, right? This is, this is the Hamas constitution. The Jews have been scheming for a long time. They've accumulated huge and influential material wealth. This is Article 22. With their money, they took control of the world media. With their money, they stood revolutions in various parts of the globe. And here's the thing is the Muslims are busy using the world media to tell us this. Okay. The world media that the Jews control is being used to insult and, and make slurs and lie about the Jews because the Jews control the media. No one else has controlled the media, but the Muslims are able to use the media to push this message out to make accusations against the Jews because the Jews don't allow anyone to control the media. Yeah, whatever, buddy. 
So they stood behind the French Revolution, the Communist Revolution, and all the revolutions. They formed secret organizations like the Freemasons. This is amazing, coming from a group that belongs to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is the largest secret society on earth, right? That we know less, know almost nothing about. And the, the Freemasons, once you become a senior Freemason, you can join the Shriners. And the Shriners are an Islamic organization with Islamic symbols and Islamic rites. That's very, very interesting, right? And it says that they want to destroy societies and carry Zionist interests. They stood down World War I. They want to rule the world. Islam wants to make a caliphate, and Islam has to impose Islam on the whole world. I think Islam meets the criteria for that because it's in their books in black and white. They have to rule the entire world. They were behind World War One, through which they made huge financial gains. There's no war going on, and World War Two, and then Zionism scheming is no end. And after Palestine, they will cover the expansion from the Nile to the Euphrates River. When they're finished digesting the area in which they've laid their hand, they will look forward to more expansion. Israel has taken territory during defensive war. And according to international law, if you take territory during, during defensive war, you're allowed to keep it. They took the Golan Heights and other places in Egypt. They gave it all back. Israel has actually shrunk, right? Islam conquered territory and is still trying to conquer territory. So yeah, they meet the criteria for this. So I think people like Arab Green and Riyad Dawson, and all these other idiots, they're working for the dinars. Um, I mean, here they talk about, this is a lot more detailed, but this, um, Yale Law School also took apart the, the Islamic resistance movement, their covenant. And notice, science of the occult. What the hell? Science of the occult. The world's biggest secret society, the world's largest, with 100 million affiliates and at least three or four million direct members, right? Science of the occult. What the hell kind of occult? And they're the largest Islamic organization in the world. This is their creed, dying in the way of Allah is our highest hope. And um, I want to ask a few questions here and just go through this. If Palestine is a country, right, when was it founded? Who founded it? Because this claim Palestine goes way back. And seriously, try and answer these questions. Try and answer these questions. What were the borders of Palestine in the past? What was its capital? What were its major cities? What was its um, economy made of? What form did its government have? Name one Palestinian leader before Arafat. Well, there's the Nazi Mufti, the Nazi dude, yeah. Was Palestine ever recognized by a country's existence? Leaves no room for interpretation. What was the language and the religion? If it goes back before Islam, what was the religion before Islam? What was the name of its currency? Pick a date and show me the exchange rate against any of these currencies in the past. Good luck with that. I mean, you aren't going to have a lot of luck with this, I'll say. What caused the destruction of Palestine? When did it happen? And what was Palestine proud of after, you know, it was slow decline and it was a proud country. And what was it proud of? What was it, you know? And the Palestinians, we know that these people are just Arabs gathered from all over that simply moved into the area to try to push the Jews out. Do they have a really genuine ethnic identity? And yeah, so I'll just, I'll stop there. But, but seriously, man, um, Fakistan, Fakistan, that's what it is, Fakistan. Yeah, I'll stop there. The so I'll, I'll Pakistan, the Philistines, right? The Philistines who came from the island of Crete. Oh, okay. The Philistines came from the island of Crete, so they were, and they all died out. I mean, they've all died out. There is, there's no, um, there's no more. They, they were absorbed by the Babylonians. They were defeated and absorbed by the Babylonians, and um, so they don't exist anymore. So they use the name, but they are not genetically related in any way. Okay. Dang, I got to sneeze. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, uh, yeah, people, post up your Super Chats. Uh, post up any uh, support for the show. We greatly appreciate any support. Yeah, guys, um, if anyone is keen to support me and my work, I'd appreciate it as well. It's a lot of work. This is hours and hours of reading this crap as well. It's Seriously, man, my brain wants to... Seriously, my brain wants to just run away because I have to listen to and read this nonsense. And I mean, these are the primary sources. These are the major Islamic books with the major scholars. It's not something written by a guy who went to prison for fraud. <laughs> you know, it's it's actually written by by the Muslim who, scholars. Who who well. went to who went to prison for fraud? Guys like David Irving for lying in his oh, own yeah, books, yeah. altering his own research, changing his own books. Right? I mean, I read I read the court transcripts of what happened to David Irving. Good God, the guy lied through his teeth. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't see anybody posting up any uh, questions there. So, yeah, if you guys are willing to support me, um, I have a PayPal link to my, my YouTube page. With. I'd appreciate it. If you can post it in the comments. Yeah, it, it's just... it's down in the uh, description. Yeah, I'd here. appreciate it as well because, man, this is a lot of work. And um, it really helps. And I appreciate and it. My YouTube channel. I have a lot of information on YouTube now as well. I've been putting up all these things in detail with, with the references, with the books, so you can read them yourself. And yeah, I have, any I, questions, anyone? I'm done. Oh, I was just going to say I appreciate any support as well. The uh, primary channel getting shut down for three months for the live feeds, uh, you know, we took a hit. So please uh, show your support. Alex, I'll give you a call tonight. Uh, everybody else, uh, great. Uh, appreciate your comments and participation in the chat. Those of you who commented intelligently and supported, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, guys, um, so, so I think this makes it very clear what Islam really thinks of you. And that because Islam is revealed in stages, at this point, they don't have the control. But once they have the control, now they say the Jews are going to chop off your heads. There is literally a single, I've only found one, literally one reference to beheading in the Talmud regarding crimes by, um, by non-Jews, right? Because the formal Jewish punishments are drowning, burning, stoning, and strangling. Beheading is not a Jewish punishment. But if you read the Sharia, as you know, and you read the Quran, and you've seen the news lately, beheading is a is an Islamic punishment. They talk about the Jews are gonna are gonna behead you. No, they don't. They don't. Oh, do but that. you know they're gonna kill the idolaters per the Noah laws. No, they won't. Laws, no, they won't. They're doing it now. There are churches in Israel. Plenty of churches. Right, I know, but you know, what, I'm just, that's what they say is these clowns who spread the Noahide law conspiracy. Yeah. You know, but oh, also, well, what about idolaters? It's, but also, the interesting thing is in reference to the single, the literally one, I only found literally one, maybe there's more, but hey, I only found one reference to beheading of non Jews in the Talmud. And it was saying, well, we can use, we don't want to use a Jewish punishment on them, we can use a non Jewish punishment. And we can behead them because it's the quickest and least painful method of dying. Because it was the most merciful, the quickest and least. And that's what someone who commits a crime in the Jewish land. Right? He doesn't recognize, because Muslims are lying to you, Stephen. They, they, they themselves have probably lied to you. I mean, you're going to see, if you read through their, 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 their what they call the Tarbiya guides, their conduct manuals. You know, how, when, you, when you go to Madrasa at five and you go to Muslim school every whatever you go learn arabic and learn the quran god you gotta read those things man they, they learn the heads are stuffed with nonsense I, seriously man it's like i want to scream sometimes reading these books you're like how can they say these things it's absolute garbage it's trash 
it's got no connection to reality but but hey it's indoctrination yep uh, all right well okay that's me people I'd, hopefully you realize now what the sharia thinks of what islam officially said what your muslim friend is doing while well, he's acting in accordance with whatever but when the when the law comes down you've seen what the law says Sonia, yeah. they're not mm. supportive of jihad right now. Remember, some of them are because that small minority, those who are operating under Farb Kifaya, they will do jihad. That small minority is compulsory. It's obligatory. The rest are there to A, not get in the way and be supported in whatever way they can. right? But jihad is compulsory upon all Muslims. Just that jihad, in, as violent jihad to impose Islam and terrorize the unbeliever, that's only a small minority. But many do. Many do. Got a hundred million members of the Muslim Brotherhood. And even if only one percent of those affiliate. Yeah. yeah, well, and if even one percent acted, that's you know, that's a million people yeah. to commit terrorism and yeah, there's, jihad. there's more members of the Muslim Brotherhood than there are, or rather there are more affiliates of the Muslim Brotherhood than there are. There's like six times more than there are Jews in the world. But uh, people like Why So Serious and uh, Arab Das or Arab Green and all these guys, they all want us to believe that it's, you know, the Jews are the threat. It's a distraction. And, you know, and, and what, a couple of years ago, uh, Arab Green was in Palestine doing, uh, making propaganda films. And then he gets back and his channel completely explodes, you know. So uh, nothing to <gasps> nothing to see there. You know, oh, the poor victims in the uh, Palestinian schools. And meanwhile... When you look at what they actually teach, unlike mm -hmm. unlike the Old Testament and the Talmud, all the whole religion is about murder, murdering non-believers. Yeah, no, beating tracks out of Babylon said they're just waiting. And yes, because Islam's revealed in stages. And when push comes to shove, they will they will all, most of them will comply. I mean, the, the Arab world is the way it is because because of the Sharia. Anybody else that's, have that's any it. comments? Anything, anyone? Looks like that's it for the Muslims night. Muslims who go by the royalty lineage. I mean, come on, man. All that crap about, yeah, these are actually Jews. It's all crap. It's by idiots who have never read the Sharia, who don't know anything about Islam. I mean, good grief. I mean, as you can tell, I know nothing about Islam. I know I'm, I'm Isle of Aaron wants to know, have you ever read, heard the claim that Muhammad wasn't born in Mecca? If so, what is your opinion? I'd say very likely. If you look at the Islamic archaeology, especially by Dan Gibson, I think Dan Gibson has it, has it nailed. So between Dan Gibson and Jay Smith, the two of them got this beat. He was born in Petra, it would seem, because all the references, all the geographic references are to the north, which is where Petra is, and all the people that Muhammad interacted with were all based in the north, 600 miles north of Mecca. So there's no way he could have had daily interactions every single day with people when these people didn't exist. And Mecca has no archaeological history, got nothing. So yeah, he was born in Petra in Jordan. And he was born four years after his father died. So, yeah, you figure that out. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. All right, folks. Good night and uh, see you uh, next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for your love and support. Subscribe and like and hit the notifications. Logosmedia.com. Please send your PayPal donations, etc. Greatly appreciate any and all support we can get. Take care and good night. Thanks, guys.